Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. I'm Josh Hammer. Welcome back. And happy Election Day, everyone. There's been months and months and months of build up to this day. I hope that everyone is excited to take in Election Day and Election Evening tonight. From the reminder that if you have not already done so, please do go out and vote. You know, there are some folks on the left and the libertarian right who talk about how voting is irrational. I used to hear this from some folks in law school, from some kind of overeducated PhD types in various economics departments across the country here. They say that it is objectively not worth the time and the effort. You'll wait in line. Your vote's never going to quote unquote matter. What total hogwash. I mean, what utter nonsense. We the people control this country. We have a lowercase r Republican form of government, and we should never, ever, ever take that for granted. I think voting is Far, far from being viewed as irrational is best viewed as a civic duty. And if for some reason you think that you are not sufficiently informed on the issues to cast those votes to execute upon that civic duty, then I would submit that you have failed your prior civic duty, which is to educate yourself. But it's never too late to start. It's never too late to get in there and start reading up on the issues. So please do go ahead and vote. So we had Harry Ent on the show last week. Harry and I kind of went through various of the close election calls this cycle, the key swing states, the so-called big four states this cycle of Nevada, Arizona, Pennsylvania, and Georgia. So we want to just talk a little bit more about what specifically I'm going to look for tonight. And let's set the table a little bit by just talking about some of the latest polling from RCP, Real Clear Politics. So the polling continues to militate in favor of a red wave. The polling average for the direction of the country is simply astonishing. The average for the future direction of the country is 44.4% underwater. 68.3% of Americans say that we are heading on the wrong track on the Real Clear Politics average. That is one heavy data indicating a, a red wave will transpire this evening. There are all sorts of other metrics as well. Joe Biden's average job approval rating continues to be in the low 40s. He is now at 42.4% approval rating in his average polling. There are any number of recent polls from the past month or so that have him in the 30s. A Quinnipiac poll as recently as October 26th through the 30th had him at 37% approval rating. The RCP average there is 12.5% underwater, also not particularly good. And perhaps most prominent, perhaps most prominently, Republicans have taken a commanding lead, a commanding lead, not a massive lead, but a commanding lead in the all-important generic congressional vote. So from the same website, Real Clear Politics, if you're not familiar with that, I'm not sure what you're doing, you should check it out, realclearpolitics.com, always good every day. On the RCP average, Republicans have a 2.5% advantage in the average ballot right now, 47.9% for the R's, 45.4% for the D's. There are very, very few recent polls that have Democrats ahead. There are two polls. They look a lot like outliers. Then there is one poll that has a tie. All the others have Republicans ahead here. Recall also the systemic 
issues for the pollsters. We talked about this at great length with Robert Cahalley of the Trafalgar Group when we had him on the show, oh, maybe a month or, or two ago, and we kind of talked about kind of the big issues with the pollsters, how they haven't learned their lessons. And while there were some states, Harry and I on the show last week discussed the, the silver state, the state of Nevada, as one possible exception that historically, at least over the past 10 to 12 years or so, has actually oversampled Republicans. Most states, as anyone who pays any attention to this stuff can easily see from the past three election cycles, going back at least to the all-important 2016 election year, you see that these polls tend to overstate Democratic support. So if Republicans are up 2.5% in the generic congressional ballot, they are in store for what appears to be a big evening tonight. That is certainly the tune that I have been singing for a long time now. I had a piece drop yesterday for the Daily Mail. For those of you not familiar with the Daily Mail, is oh, you know, it's a British tabloid. I think that'll be the, a fair way of saying it. My first time I've ever written for the Daily Mail. I look forward to future opportunities. Kind of a personal aside, actually. I, I, I grew up in a household that played a lot of Beatles music. I think my mom is best described as a Beatles freak, you, you might say. And there's a famous Beatles song called Paperback Writer, for those of you who are familiar. And there's a lyric about how his son is writing for the Daily Mail. Well, okay, well, there you go. That's why I didn't go into singing. But my, my mother of all people is very happy that I got a Daily Mail byline. So I'm quite happy to make her proud this week. So my, my colorfully titled headline, which the Daily Mail editors chose, but I certainly do not object to for this piece that I encourage you guys to check out at dailymail.co.uk. The headline was, quote, out of touch Dems are limping into Tuesday like a wounded dog wagged by its woke tail. And like I said, I didn't choose the headline, but I am certainly not objecting because that is more or less where my head is at right now. And, you know, let me just briefly read for you guys just the opening few short paragraphs of this column that I wrote. So I wrote, quote, the fundamental problem for the Democrats is that they have quite simply gotten very bad at politics. If that sounds like a sweeping statement, that's because it is. But how else to explain the fact that as voters consistently tell pollsters they care most about crime, inflation, the economy, and immigration, the Democrats obstinately refuse to abandon their dog-eared playbook of pro-abortion maximalism, orange man bad style January 6th fear-mongering, and trite warnings about the purported threats to our democracy if the opposition party wins a free and fair election. That really is fundamentally what is going on at a 35,000-foot altitude view, and that has been what has been going on for the past few months now, is that in the aftermath of the Dobbs abortion decision covered at great length on this show that, that came down in late June, there were some early indications that Democrats might have gone a little momentum driving out those kind of progressive activists, those single-issue pro-abortion supporters. By the way, there are not that many of them. And in fact, they are actually drastically outnumbered by single-issue pro-life voters, but we'll kind of hold that aside. But there were some early indications that maybe, maybe there would be some sort of momentum for this. Democrats overperformed in certain special elections in Nebraska, Minnesota, and New York State. Over the, uh, over the course of late July through early September or so, the culturally conservative state of Kansas defeated, tragically, tragically defeated a pro-life uh, constitutional amendment at the ballot box in early August, barely over a month after the Dobbs decision. But their momentum on that particular issue just totally died out, just totally, totally died out. And the polling on this 
is actually really, really quite telling. It's really remarkable. I cited some of this polling in the Daily Mail piece, actually. The Wall Street Journal, the Wall Street Journal last week had a remarkable poll where they showed that from the last time the journal had polled from August through last week, the white suburban women voting block, this is a key, key, key swing voting block. Suburbanites of all stripes, especially white suburbanites, used to be a core Republican Party voting block, at least starting with the Obama era, started drifting a little more to the left, especially centered in those suburban areas in the Midwest. The Northeast was already starting to go away. And then really over the past 10 years or so, actually, you saw a lot of these suburban communities actually in the broader south, in the, in, in the states that formerly constituted the Confederacy, you started to see some of these suburban areas, which, which were once bright red, start to drift at least a little bit. I'm thinking of metropolitan areas even in Texas, including Dallas-Fort Worth. The Austin-San Antonio corridor is a little more complicated, but certainly in the Houston, Texas area, Harris County and its surrounding environs. And really, Atlanta was actually ground zero of this demographic and political transformation. The gains that the Democratic Party has made in Metropolitan Atlanta is frankly just staggering. It, 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 is, it is really staggering. And it appears, it appears, we'll find out more tonight, obviously, but it appears that perhaps the Democrats have reached their apex, that they have peaked. It's a dangerous thing to predict, but it appears that possibly at least they have peaked as far as the tilting leftward of suburban America. So as I wrote in my Daily Mail piece, quote, as the Wall Street Journal reported last week, the all-important white suburban women voting bloc has swung toward Republicans by an astonishing 27 points just since August. A 27-point shift by this core voting bloc in the course of effectively two months. Now, why is that? Well, quite simply, the abortion issue turned out to be a total flash in the pan for the left. And the voters came home. They came home to realizing that I think the number is roughly one in five Americans when they get to the checkout counter at the grocery store cannot afford to buy all of their groceries. They have to put some of the butter back or the chicken back or the eggs back or something like that. Because inflation remains really, really bad. Really bad. Now, Fed Chair Jerome Powell and his Board of Governors are consistently raising interest rates, whether they are doing so swiftly enough or whether it has even been particularly effective. We will hold that for another day. But at least as of right now, inflation remains, remains really, really, really bad. And if you combine the voters who are primarily voting on the inflation issue with voters who are primarily voting on just the economy issue more generally, it's a strong plurality. Of voters right now. The combined percentage of voters who are voting on those two issues combined inflation in the economy, according to a New York Times poll from last month, October, is now getting up as upwards of 44%. The immigration issue has really kind of become front and center. Huge, huge, huge hat tip, by the way, to the intrepid reporter Bill Malugan of Fox, who has basically situated himself there in the Rio Grande Valley in South Texas and has just done yeoman's work reporting on the extraordinarily porous and disastrous, really disastrous state of the southern border affecting 
not merely communities there in Texas, in Arizona, which does not have the Rio Grande Valley, but has kind of the high Sonoran Desert. There is zero, zero excuse, zero why there should not be a full border wall protecting the states of Arizona and New Mexico. California can obviously do whatever the hell California wants to do. I'm not going to pretend like I know what is best for Gavin Newsom and his liberal cadre there in the state capital of Sacramento. But the immigration issue has really kind of returned to the forefront. I personally think at least part of this, it's hard to say how much, obviously, but it seems like part of this can at least be attributable to uh, some of these busing and migrant flight policies. Ron DeSantis got a lot of headlines for that, and the governor here in the free state of Florida. What Ron DeSantis did pertaining to his Martha's Vineyard flights for those Venezuelan migrants who were in San Antonio, Texas, he flew them to Martha's Vineyard, as we've analyzed on this show previously. Governor Greg Abbott there in Texas has been busing migrants for months to liberal enclaves like Chicago, Washington, D.C., and New York City. So it seems like immigration has also returned to the fore. And the crime issue. You cannot overstate the crime issue and just how much that has become relevant. Man, I mean, I am a native of New York State. I still have a lot of friends and family in the area. Anecdotally, I just cannot tell you the number of conversations that I have had with with New Yorkers, those living in the Big Apple and in the Empire State more broadly, who just talk about how they are voting on the crime issue. That is the issue. I mean, think about it, guys. If you're living in New York City, if you are living in the biggest city in the country, and you see people getting pushed in front of subway cars to their death, there are muggings, people being beaten up in the streets of Midtown Manhattan and Times Square. This is not some so-called outer borough phenomenon. This has reached Midtown, Upper East Side, you name it. So in that situation, you're damn right that the crime issue is going to predominate there. I really, really think that Lee Zelvin is going to come awfully, awfully close tonight to knocking off incumbent governor Kathy Hockle, who is extraordinarily unpopular for virtually everyone outside of her far left core base of support. I'm not entirely confident that Lee can pull it off, but it's going to be very close. It's going to be very close. And, you know, if if Lee can pull that off, then holy moly, I mean, this red wave is going to become a red tsunami at this point. But there are lots of other kind of races to kind of keep an eye on as the returns start to come in. I, I, I commend to the listeners an excellent Substack post that my friend Ryan Gradusky wrote last week. He entitled his post, quote, How to Tell If There's a Red Wave. He basically kind of takes you hour by hour going through state by state to talk about some of the early indications as to where we'll see where this is going. Ryan is looking in particular in states like Virginia at their second and seventh congressional districts to see whether Elaine Laurie and Abigail Spanberger in particular can, can survive those races. And, you know, he goes, he goes state by state. It's, very, it's really quite helpful there. As a Floridian, I will be paying particularly close attention to my state, not necessarily because I think that Ron DeSantis and Marco Rubio are going to have any particular difficulties being reelected. On the contrary, I think they're both going to absolutely cruise to re-election victory, and I predict that tonight will be Florida's coming out party, if you will. I think tonight will be Florida's coming out party that where we'll say to the country and the world, for that matter, that, you know what? Yeah, you're right. We decided the 2000 presidential election by barely over 500 votes. For decades and decades, Florida was one of the nation's two iconic swing states. 
really, I would say, one of the two iconic swing states along with the state of Ohio. I don't think Florida's a swing state anymore, guys. I don't think it is. The shift in voter registrations over the course of Ron DeSantis' governorship here in the Sunshine State is astonishing. We're talking about a 500,000 plus, at this point, closer, almost close to 600,000 plus shift from D's to R's as far as registered voters. Republicans have taken the, the lead in reg- registered voters in the state of Florida for the first time in history, and it's not even close. The only question for tonight that I will be looking at is whether DeSantis can beat Charlie Crist by double digits. I think he will. And whether he will outright win Miami-Dade County, which is the most populous county in the state and is a 70% Hispanic county in the state. That county has not been won by a Republican since Jeb Bush running for his governor reelect in 2002, which was a very favorable cycle for Republicans. His brother was the president. Jeb Bush speaks fluent Spanish. His wife is Mexican-born. So, you know, for DeSantis to do it, who effectively has none of what I just said going for him, would really be a, a, a shocking, shocking statement. Similarly speaking, I will be looking carefully to see what happens in the Rio Grande Valley there in South Texas. Ryan Graduski, who I mentioned earlier, he refers to that part of South Texas. It's a kind of humorous nickname he's given. He refers to it as the Fajita Belt, in contrast, of course, to the Rust Belt. We're looking here to see if folks like Myra Flores can continue the huge momentum that started a little prior, really started kind of, I would say, formulating in the 2020 presidential election when President Trump competed heavily there in the Rio Grande Valley and in overwhelmingly Hispanic counties like Star County, Texas, like Star County, Texas and Zapata County, Texas. So I will be looking carefully to see just how well folks like Governor Greg Abbott, who was obviously going to cruise to re-election, how well they do in those particular races. And then let's kind of take it home here. Let's kind of talk about those those big four states that we talked about with Harry Enton on the show last week. These really are the states that have generated the most attention this cycle. I think it looked like the state of North Carolina, the Tar Heel State, one of my former states that I've lived in. I think it looked to some like North Carolina might be a very kind of swingy state this cycle. That's not the case. Ted Budd has really kind of pulled away in his Senate race. I guess there were some folks in the left who thought that Florida was going to be a swing state. That is simply just no longer the case at this point. So the big four really are Georgia, Pennsylvania, Arizona, and Nevada. Now. I think Republicans are going to do very well in these four states. I think Brian Kemp is going to win by a, a, a wide margin over Stacey Abrams, to put it mildly. It would not shock me if he won by double digits. I think probably somewhere in the seven to eight point range, if I had to guess. I do think that he pulls Herschel Walker across the finish line there. The only question is whether Herschel gets to 50% plus one vote to avoid a runoff, similar to what the state of Georgia had in the Senate runoffs just after the 2020 election, it's going to be close. It's going to be very close, actually. I think Herschel's probably going to end up right around that 50% number. I personally predict the red wave will be big enough where he does end up avoiding a runoff. Some folks have been predicting that, including Eric Erickson, who is a Georgia-based commentator, radio host. That's not a popular prediction, but I do predict that will probably be the case. In Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, wow. So I think Dr. Oz has it. I mean, it's going to be close. The early voting in Pennsylvania is a real, real, real problem. And that early voting, as it does in virtually every state, tends to favor the Democrats. So going into Election Day, John Fetterman, who's a a human vegetable, 
you know, we wish him a swift recovery, but anyone who saw his, anyone who saw that debate performance saw that you saw someone who was manifestly unfit for office in his, in his present physical condition, for goodness sake. And while we wish him the best of recovery, you have to assume that in the aftermath of that, the votes that are coming in are going to heavily favor Dr. Oz. And Dr. Oz, sure enough, has been leading in a number of, of, of the polls that kind of slowly trickled in since that debate. I think that he pulls it off. It's going to be really, really close, though. The governor's race, I, I, I don't think Doug Mastriano is going to be able to pull it off there. I mean, that's, that's red tsunami territory if Mastriano defeats Josh Shapiro. But, but Shapiro has been leading in the vast majority of the polling there, I, I, and usually by not a particularly small margin. That would be a catastrophic polling error, a catastrophic polling error if Mastriano pulls it off. I think that Josh Shapiro has it. Of those Northeast states, I really think Lee Zeldin has the better chance, actually, to win statewide from a governor's perspective in New York State than Mastriano does in Pennsylvania. But we shall see. In the state of Arizona, it seems to me like Harry Lake is on cruise control at, at this point. By the way, there was a suspicious incident this past weekend where there was some white powder that arrived at, at, at Carrie Lake's campaign office. I think the FBI was, in, was involved, and uh, they, they shut down the office to investigate it. I mean, look, my God, people, uh, it's really unfortunate, obviously, that tensions have kind of boiled to, to this point. And, uh, you know, we don't know who sent it or what the, what the powder was, whatever, but just awful, 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 awful stuff. And I hope that Carrie Lake and her entire campaign team are doing just fine on this election day. Seems like Carrie Lake is going to cruise. I think she'll win by five to seven points or so. Uh, maybe four to five, probably somewhere around five to six if I had to really nail it down. But who the heck knows? She is going to do well. And more generally, she is poised for national superstardom, I think. She is a true rising star, can easily see Carrie Lake becoming the Ron DeSantis of the Southwest. She is just absolutely terrific. What a candidate. What a candidate. What a find. And I think that she's going to win by a big enough margin to pull Blake Masters across the finish line. I do think that Blake Masters is going to defeat Mark Kelly in that Senate race, but it's going to be close. It's going to be close, just like the Oz-Fetterman race is going to be close. I think those will, will probably be the absolute two closest Senate races this cycle, if I had to guess. But I think Blake comes across the finish line. In Nevada, I'm bullish for Republicans as well. I think that Joe Lombardo and Adam Laxalt have that race right now in the governor and U.S. Senate races, respectively. Again, as we discussed last week with Harry, the pollsters tend to actually sometimes oversample Republican support in New Hampshire, which is pretty rare. Normally, they will oversample Democratic support, but I, am, I, I do think that Lombardo and Laxalt are in good shape there in the Silver State. I actually even think that at this point, Republicans are going to take this, the Granite State of New Hampshire, and that's, that's, you know, that's a bit of a bold prediction, but at this point, it seems to me like Don Baldock has the momentum on his side. It's not like Maggie Hassan is a particularly popular incumbent senator. The Real Clear Politics voting average has that race in true definitive toss-up territory at this point. And, you know, when Baldock won that primary, he was not the establishment choice. I think large swaths of the talking head political punditry class kind of dismissed him right away, shoved him aside as a far-right gadfly of sorts. But he has run a very, very disciplined campaign, and he has benefited from this red wave that we are seeing transpiring across the whole country. So when all is said and done, when all is said and done, my final number is a 54 to 46 majority for Republicans. That effectively means that they are going to win all of these 
toss-up races. That is the nature of a wave election year. I think that they will fall short in Colorado and in Washington State. But my goodness, I mean, if Tiffany Smiley in Washington State can knock off Patty Murray, that's another indication of, I mean, not just like a red tsunami. I mean, that's like a I mean, that's like a global, that's like a global asteroid hit if Patty Murray can lose statewide there in Washington state. And Tiffany Smiley's run an excellent campaign. She has a, she has a chance. I do think she probably will fall. I think, I think she will probably fall just a little short. So I do predict 54 to 46 Republican majority in the U.S. Senate. As far as the share of governor's races, I do think Republicans will also increase their partisan share of the nation's governor mansions. I have them netting out at 31 seats, that would mean Lee Zeldin just narrowly loses, but it's possible that they can go upwards of 32. And, you know, again, if we're getting into red tsunami, red asteroid belt territory, where people like Doug Mastriano win in Pennsylvania or Paul LePage pulls an upset there in the state where he was once governor himself in the, in the state of Maine, We'll see. I mean, those numbers could get even higher. But right now, it's looking like a good day and a good night for the Republican Party. It's looking like that there will be a real check, a real meaningful check to the hubristic excesses of our doddering dolt of a president, President Joe Biden, in in the remaining two years of his first term. But we shall see. And I hope that all of you enjoy the returns. Once again, if you have not voted, please do go ahead and get out there and cast your ballot. It is your civic duty. It is not irrational. Do not listen to the nonsense that you hear from certain quarters saying that it is irrational. Go ahead and cast your vote and do so proudly. And, you know, I hope you enjoyed this Josh Hammer Show election special. So we'll see you next time. And until then, please do cast your vote and enjoy the returns, everyone.